Welcome back to another episode of Seahawks Nest Fans. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, and the roadblock to my snake eyes, Kevin Garber. How you doing, Kevin? Let's party. Okay. Awesome. And the Cobra Commander to our G.I. Joe. That's Eric Ronnebeck over there. Yes. <laughs> hey, man. I got a venomous ideology. I'm ready. All right. So, uh, yeah. This is uh, the dumbest dis- intro we've ever done. How, dim- so how, di- possibly. how disappointed were you that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was Cobra Commander, by the way? You know, looking back, it's like, wow, they got Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But I'll say this. The, the first G.I. Joe movie, it's an abomination. The second one, really bad. But some really fun scenes in that movie. Like is, that the one, is that the one with Bruce Willis? It does. Yes, fat yes, Brendan Fraser. Well, Fat Brendan Fraser is a uh, in the first one. He's for whatever in both reason. of them. That's how no, fat he is in that. He's not. Uh, Bruce Willis is in the second one. He spreads. I, that's how they made a better movie. They're like, let's just cro- let's uh, cast the rock. There's a lot rock. of Joes down let's there. Let's cro- let's cast the rock and Bruce Willis, and it'll be a hundred dollar film. All right, so a hundred dollar, hundred million dollars. So all right, let's let's get a hundred grand bar. Let's get into the meat and the in the bones of the Seahawks nest. That's the past game recap where we uh, talk about what happened in the last game. Uh, so Seahawks head to San Francisco Levi Stadium, uh, where undefeated. They, I listened to this game on the radio. You guys, you didn't miss much. So uh, what I did is I I watched the first quarter and I was like, yeah, this is a uh, I'm really not enjoying this. And so I went to the gym and put it on the radio. And uh, then I came back and I watched the tape later, obviously. But but uh, man, they talked about the weather a lot in the radio broadcast. So anyone who listens to the radio broadcast, respect to you, because man, Rabel could not shut up about the weather to the point where the other announcer, who I think is Warren Moon, right, mm-hmm. just comments on like the fact that he's like, hey. You, you, do you want to be a meteorologist when you're done being a football announcer? <laughs> just, just like, wow, they, they really, he really uh, does not like that. He keeps uh, talking about the weather. Rabel is a really good play-by-play guy. That's how boring the game was. You went back and watched this game, I would have talked about the weather too. Yeah, it was not fun. It was The rewatch was fine because it was only like 20 minutes long. It was super short. It was one of the shortest game rewinds of the whole season. Let me give you a 17-play recap. Hand the ball to Lacey. He gets about a yard. Hey, that was like you know what a solid twelve of our plays. I'll be honest though, we stuck to the run, and it gave our offense some kind of like pseudo balance that really kept the kept the offense moving. Or in this it's game. Uh, what we always do, and we start really slow, and then we take it over at the end against a bad team. You want to know my favorite thing though? This is my favorite. Um, so I was looking at the stat line for the game, writing it down as I always do, getting ready to make a couple of notes, highlight a few things. And I'm like, oh, Eddie Lacy, 17 carries, 46 yards, 2.7 yards per carry. I'm glad they stuck with the run. 17 for 47. That's not a bad day for him. And I was like, huh, Carlos Hyde, 16 for 47, 2.9. Man, we made, uh, we made, we made Hyde look like Eddie Lacy. That's pretty good for us. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, that was kind of depressing. Yeah, we really we've really lowered the bar for what is acceptable production from our running backs at this point, right? It was not good. It was a bad moment. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really have a, a a ton of feedback for the run game except for the fact that Fetty is the most frustrating football player to watch on tape of all time. Uh, half the plays, he just lets the guy go by him and doesn't like he like looks at him. If anybody, if they make any type of move that isn't just a straight bull rush, they go by him. Uh, there were so many plays where Eddie Lacy's trying to carry the ball. He gets hit three yards in the backfield, and I don't blame the guy for only getting one yard. That one yard was like very difficult to get. He had to rush four to get one. He's not prime Marshawn Lynch, where Marshawn Lynch can make four guys miss in the backfield and turn a zero negative three yard rush into a positive five yard rush. That's just 
that I mean, in those seasons, Marshawn Lynch led the league in elusive rating. I think our expectations for what is acceptable for run blocking uh, need to be raised because Marshawn maybe would have made prime Marshawn would have made some of these runs look good, and Eddie Lacy, any nobody can, nobody can make these runs look good. Maybe Lev Bell. Uh, but probably not, you know, because Lebel likes to hide behind his offensive lineman, and when you know he just stands there and lets the defensive end run by, or uh, our guards are getting blown up because they're inexperienced. Like that, that stuff is going to add up. That being said, the left side of the line looked real good. Um, yeah, Jokel came back, had a nice game. Jokel and Dwayne Brown is a real. That's a real part of an offensive line. It's kind of weird to watch, but I just the whole every time I watched, it, I was like, "Wow, they look they look decent on that one. They look decent on that one. They're like they're when you don't notice them a whole lot, that's a good sign for the left side of the offensive line." Yeah, and Posich has a clear flaw. He just doesn't have an NFL body, and so if you get a strong guy on him, they can bull rush him back and make him look bad. That is a fact that we have to live with. But he's always in position. He tries hard to finish his blocks. He's he's a functional player. Yeah, he when, knows he knows he where to his, go on the yes. field, which I like. And when he gets his body right, I think he'll look a lot like Jokel at guard. I was going to say Jokel's he will have strong guard. An, an NFL body. He will have it. He's just I don't know. You you want that monster out of, college? out of college? Yeah, it's just how it is. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, I'm glad that you took the lead on this because I feel like I've been burying a Fetty all year. I would like to go ahead and take this opportunity to point out statistically, this was a Fetty's best game. So you have said that this is the highest PFF rating he's had. He only allowed one pressure. Um, this was his best game. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say this in pass protect. I didn't really notice him that much. It was actually more run game related ills that bothered me so much. Um, so that's, I guess that's that. No, I'd like to point it out as this was his best game and he still didn't look very good. I think that's important. The, I think that tells us what we need to know about Jermaine Effetti at right tackle. Either he's not being coached into being successful there, or he can't be successful there. This experiment has failed at this point. Yeah, and I mean, he he, he had a, a run a run blocking grade in the mid-70s, which is nothing to like write home about. That's like, oh average. yeah, bang average. And what, another thing too is is that, that, that this rating doesn't encompass is the fact that on some plays, he's really good. To the point where it's infuriating. Like, that might be the most infuriating part, is the plays where he looks like he's awesome, and you're like, whoa! He owned Tank Carradine multiple times. Where is that? Where's that for the rest of the game? And then, like, the next play, he gets blown up, and now we're in third and long for because Afedi couldn't do his job, right? Like, the inconsistency is almost more infuriating because in football, it doesn't, it doesn't reward those inconsistencies because here's what happens. We, we run on first down and he gets blown up. Now we're in second and 14. The whole, that whole drive is messed up now. Like second and 14, you don't got a lot of plays in your playbook that get 14 yards. So you're going to run like some weird slant that gets you into a manageable third down. You've had to modify your whole game plan based on the fact that on first down, you were not successful. Uh, Afedi, Getting blown up on first down was it, and then okay, so he pass blocks good on the other two downs, and now we're in, now we blew it on you know we got ended up in third and eight like that's it's not good right so yeah maybe he had his best game but I'm I'm not gonna I'm like I saw the grade I saw that he was in the top five grades for our team I just disagree uh, there's no way no one should watch that film and think Dwayne Brown was worse than Jermaine Fetty if you think that um, I would like to uh, talk to you in person about football. <laughs> Uh, because, because like Dwayne Brown did so many things that were awesome in this game. So like the, like the blocking on the screen pass and just like all kinds of stuff that I just like really, really enjoyed. Also quietly, Britt looks healthy again. Yeah. He was able to move around a little bit. He has looked 
physically shaky for a few games now. He looked healthy in the middle as an anchor. Okay, but we I, need that. I have a question for you since you've watched this game probably a little closer than I have, Kevin. A Baldwin. Only three targets for only three targets, only two receptions. Was did they just decide they didn't need to use him as part of the offense? Was he more of a decoy? Was he double covered? Like why why did Jimmy or sorry, Doug have trouble getting involved in this game? Uh I think two of his targets went for penalties. That should be noted. Uh one of them was the So he's had two additional targets that were were pass interference penalties. Yeah, uh, Eric back me up on this. Was the one the touchdown, the pass to the end zone? It was near the end zone. Kevin. Yeah, I remember that play now. Yep, I remember one distinctly, so yes. And there was another one. It was middle of the field, I think, is where you're thinking. That's, yes. When that you was, said going for penalties, I was like, yes, that's exactly what Yeah, there were two that were called back off of penalties, and so that put him up to five targets. If you look at the number of throws on the day, that seems pretty well in line. He would have been, what, our third most targeted receiver at that point? Well, I feel like his, his catches went for plus yardage. They weren't, you know, like three dots. Three yard, uh, you know, outs that didn't do anything. He had one big catch in the game. Um, when someone like Doug Baldwin gets going with one play, it it kind of focuses your attention on Doug Baldwin. Yeah, and that's that's good for the rest of the offense. I also do feel like they focused a little more on Doug, which is why it opened up uh, Richardson because Paul Richardson had a very Doug Baldwin day. Yeah, Paul Richardson was fantastic in this game. Like four receptions, seventy yards. Uh, he looked good. And I thought all game jimmy looked good we finally have like a like a play that i that i feel like we go for in the end zone consistently and it's just post up jimmy graham give him the ball i really liked when we posted him up and then we threw the slant to him because if you can threaten them with both the post and the slant Mm -hmm. you're basically going okay you have a 50 percent chance of choosing what to defend and you maybe can do it which means probably 80 percent of the throws that you make in the red zone to him should be a touchdown Long-time listeners to the podcast will know I am not a fan of the fade. Like, I think of the fade is one of the worst pl- plays in football. But when you throw it the way that we do, where Jimmy Graham just turns around and bodies the smaller player, that's fine. That's different than throwing a true fade, right? Yeah. So I, I actually kind of like that play. What I didn't understand was in the first quarter, Jimmy was MIA. He didn't hobble off the field. He was taken off the field. Uh, there was a, a pass to him where I thought we screwed up. And he wasn't in the game. For... Well, the interception was to him. Uh, Russ underthrew him on yeah was... um, on an outbreaking route. Not a good and, throw. And uh, Reed just cut under it and grabbed the interception. But I did notice that um, at one point, like on the next drive, Jimmy came into the huddle and then left. And if you look, he's playing with his gloves. I'm wondering if he's having a problem with his hands. So like maybe he. Uh, you know, smacked his hands on a helmet or something like that mm-hmm. on one of the plays, and so his fingers were dead. That's fair because honestly, like when I look for an injury, I think like, oh, is he limping? What's going on? And uh, I didn't see anything, but I didn't look at the hands. I didn't think about that. It's possible. Yeah, it I was, was just it I was wanted to know thing. your guys' insight because for me, I was like, why isn't he on the field? The announcers are even talking about it. Yeah, I had the same thought. Though the TV announcers were. F- Friggin' terrible. So, <laughs> oh, uh, I, I I didn't notice. Wink, wink. All right. So, so they were definitely talking about it on the radio. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I don't know exactly. They they were. It was unclear what the problem was, and then by the time they cared about figuring out, Jimmy was playing again. So yep. they so they just let it go. I was uh, surprised. Lockett only got one target. He got the one target in the end zone. Um, that was broken up, and that's it. He ran. He ran once. He did run once. That was a thing. Uh. I I am actually surprised they they did they mixed in a couple wide receiver runs just to try to get like I said they tried to do some running in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, Russell still not keeping on 
zone reads and one play he definitely should have kept. It was like a it was like a definitely a, t- a touchdown or at least a 15 yard run uh, if he just keeps it. But I'm wondering if he's if he's if he's hesitant to run because of what happened last year where he got hurt and then missed a bunch of time and he just he doesn't want to get put in that situation. He didn't get hurt on a on a run play. I, last I'm year, aware. I'm aware. I mean, I'm not I'm not like attacking you for that. What I'm saying is. I don't know what the reason is. I think might be, it might be that our, our offensive line can't take it. Like they're afraid that you know, even if the defensive end crashes in, there will be enough time for you know for a player to recover across exactly. the field and, and just which, smash Russell. Yeah, smash him in the back or on the side where you know a runner is open to that, and it's which legal. is how he did get injured. Yeah. was being chased down from behind. Exactly. So it's like I'm beginning to get it why they're not running the read option. And at this point in the season, I'm kind of like, fine, whatever. At this point, at this point though, the the Seahawks need to start winning every single game, and so I think it's time to start to start like pulling the tricks out of the playbook, right? Start start playing for broke a little bit more on, especially on offense. You know, I don't. I feel like we went super conservative in this game, and it would it was easy because the other team, you know, twenty of thir- of Bethard's thirty eight passes were to running backs or tight ends and they were short, right? So like they weren't throwing downfield. They weren't they weren't stretching the field. They weren't they were checking down all the time. Bethert was pressured on, I think, almost half of his snaps. I'd have to look at the exact number. Bethert was pressured on seventeen of his thirty eight pass attempts. Yeah, there were thirteen QB hits. Yeah. So he was hurried sixteen times. Like that's that's nuts. Like that's that's crazy, and it showed. You felt like he it looked like he was on his back the so, whole game. I mean, I understand like why we didn't have to go ahead and do that, but still, it was kind of a, it was frustrating. It was frustrating to. I want to see us like being like I want to see Wilson taking risks and like really putting himself out there. And I know maybe that's an, maybe that's an unpopular opinion. Maybe people want him to play it safe and just get to the playoffs or get to the end of the season without getting hurt. But that the window doesn't stay open forever. And there's a lot of guys on this team that are starting to get towards 30. And I don't want to see the window slam shut on the Seahawks without us putting it all out there. Does that make sense? I wanted to bring this up today, actually. Uh, our, our dear friend uh, from Argentina, uh, Dustin, Augustine, rather, <laughs> uh, brought us brought up a question to us in the, in the Facebook chat. And it was a question about how do you feel about the team? Uh, you know uh, our chances this year and it kind of got me got me a little nostalgic thinking every year at the beginning we talk about or i talk about the metaphor of like you know a window closing and how like the cardinals kind of had like that augusta wind just needs to take carson palmer out and that team's window is shut and guess what the cardinals window is shut i feel as long as we have pete carroll and russell wilson on this team and this organization our window is going to be open but it's not going to be like a wide open window where you can say this should be a Super Bowl team. And I think, and I really, I know we love to, you know, call out hot takes as friends and we make fun of it. But I believe that that big window is gone for the Seahawks. I don't know if Cam Chancellor is going to play again. I don't think he's going to play again this year. I don't know if Richard Sherman is going to play for the Seahawks ever again if you can go back to the speculation on this podcast about how this could very well be his last year here we love richard sherman we love his his tenacity his aggressiveness his passion for the game but there's a bit of immaturity within him where 
you know, he, he threatened a reporter last year and it was on tape. And then he came out instead of apologizing for it. He said, I never said those things. Another thing too is, is that like the Achilles injuries are tough to come back from too. Especially for a bigger corner that you worry about losing a step. A guy running backwards as fast as he can. It's just not realistic. And we're talking about, you know, shoring up this line, getting a running back, uh, you know, reloading on defense. That money's going to have to come from somewhere. And so we have Earl Thomas. That's great. And I would like to think 70% of Earl Thomas in a couple years is still going to be great for this team. And I'm not saying like, hey, guys, don't listen to this podcast anymore because our window's shut. I'm just saying the idea of us being Super Bowl contenders every year, it's not a thing. And I feel like that's the same way for the Packers because of Mike McCarthy and the lack of talent around Aaron Rodgers. But I think the Seahawks team is now should be playoff contenders every year. But can we get to the big game? Can we get to the Super Bowl? That's going to have to, you know, around week 13 every season, that's when we're going to have to evaluate that. And I just, looking at the talent on this team, it's tough to say that. But look at where we are now with the injuries it's not going to happen this year. And the, the cap is like, we are capped right now. Um, yep. We have $60,000 of free salary cap. And really, to be honest, the Texans fucked us. Like the, the, I don't want to like put it out there like that, but there's a lot of rumors in NFL circles now that like GMs are really frustrated because the Texans, they think that the Texans failed laying in his physical on purpose to force us to give him another draft pick to not make sure that the trade didn't fall through and like all this weird stuff. And like, I'm, I, I love a good conspiracy. Uh, and I tend to believe it. Like it really screwed us over because at that point, like we have to give them a better draft pick and we have to take lane back, which is 4 million against our cap that we had expected to be able to use for the rest of the season for flexibility. And you know what? The Texans got what they deserved. Deshaun Watson tore his ACL and, uh, karma's a bitch. So yeah, it's like that, weird. that's kind of where I'm at on that. Like they, the, they, they, they did that to themselves. <laughs> Uh, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, that is really messing us up, though, because we had to cut Dwight Freeney, and you do not cut a guy who gets 11 pressures in three, in three games. Was he three games with us, right? Three games. Uh, three sacks. Or no, four games. 11 pressures in four games with three sacks. Like, that's nuts. He had the three that's, sacks through three games, though, that's didn't he? That's very, that's very good production from a pass rusher. And then all of a sudden, we just have to get rid of him for basically no reason. That's, that's unacceptable. And it's because, and it's because of this lane thing. Like, that we've run into this problem now. Where we have no cap room because we we kind of finagled it and we had to get Dwayne Brown under the cap and we only left ourselves enough room to do X, right? Well, and that's something that well, this is a problem that would have been compounded if we had k- tried to keep Hauschka. So for sure. as much as we all were upset that Blair Walsh cost us a game. Uh, Two games. <laughs> certainly one. Pretty much two. Yeah. But he did give us a playoff win. I. Uh, not for not while playing for the Seahawks, though. Details. Um, Details. <laughs> never forget. Um, but yeah, if we if we'd have re-signed Hauschka, we wouldn't have been able to fit Brown under the cap. That would have been a non-option. So and Brown is a guy that we're going to have for a few more years, one more year at least. So at least the thing about how ha- the thing about Hauschka too is is we had to decide: do we want to spend they because he got a big contract for a kicker? Yes. Do we want to spend three million dollars on a kicker, or do we? want to use that to gain roster flexibility elsewhere. And, you know, it's a tough choice because kicker is an important position, but the Seahawks felt, and I tend to agree, that they could find a kicker that could do 80 to 90% as good for for one-tenth of the price. And you know what? To be honest with you, he has done 80 to 90% as good as, as Hauschka for 
one-tenth of the price. So at the end of the day, like, they got what they wanted. And, yeah, it sucks. Like, he's not he's inconsistent. He he always misses exactly the same way, which is really frustrating. Yeah. You'd think that he could figure that shit out. Like, you always <laughs> miss left. So stop stop doing that. But it is what it is. Like, we, we are in this situation now. And, yeah, I... I I think it's fine. I think it's fine a fine thing to do. Um the Eddie Lacy contract's a total bust. He will not be back with the Seahawks next year. That's some cap room we'll get to save. Lane Jokel we would get back cheaper because he got hurt again. Right. Jokel is either gonna come back cheaper or he's not coming back at all. Yep. Lane is gone. Uh Jimmy Graham is probably gonna come back for less to- less per year money. Okay. I mean his total contract might be pretty big. You know, it might be like four years thirty two. But like that's less than ten million the ten million dollars a year he's making now. Right. The only way we don't keep Jimmy Graham is if he decides to play with for a huge contract for one of these teams that's trying to get up to the the floor. And if that's the case, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, if he wants to go, get then paid, we get a third round pick for him. If he wants to get paid eighteen million dollars to play for the Browns, like cool, man, good job. Like I'm proud of you. Like that, you should do that. But there's a chance he just decides. You know what? I want eight million dollars to play for the Seahawks instead. That that's because that's going to be his. That's the option he's going to get yep. at the end of the season. Um, I would. At this point, let's talk a little bit about our defense, the way our defense played in the last game. Well, I've got a little bit more. Oh, for offense? Uh, for offense. Okay, go ahead. So I want to talk about our run game. Um, we were mentioning the zone read. I think that there's uh, something to be said for the fact that the team has, you know, five games left. Um, I think that they're going to be looking heavily at... These I are... think the zone read might have been being kept in the garage. Oh, like like kind of like the, the, the Patriots do with Gronk, where they keep him in the garage, they wait, and they take the cover off it, and he scores two touchdowns like last week. And I think that's going to be the case in some of these big games. I think we could see the return of the zone read. That's that's my hope, and there's reason to believe that. This team has been known to play vanilla for a little bit, and then, you know, pull out those weapons when they need them. And like you said, this is the time to need them. Uh, I noticed Rawls was just straight rested last game. He was given a chance to catch his breath. I think that's because we know we're going to need someone with a little more upside in the run game than Eddie Lacy, which Rawls has ever so slightly more upside. Um, I do like the way that we're using McKissick. He's getting between four and seven carries a game, and he's getting these change of pace outside runs that give us something to stretch the field outside of having to try and run Tyler Lockett. So between Lockett and McKissick, we have a few ways that we can stretch the field. I do appreciate some of the moves that are being made in the run game. I think if you were to mix the zone read in, and if the offensive line continues to improve as it has, you're going to see a functioning run game from this team. But it does absolutely hinge on that zone read. All right. And so like I was saying before, to to go into contract kind of leads me to an important player from last game which is Sheldon Richardson. Sheldon Richardson has been incredibly good since he's come over to Seattle. Lights out. At the fir- at the first few games, like we said, he was in I'm playing for the Jets shape. He wasn't in <laughs> great he wasn't in great shape. He got tired down the stretch. Dwayne Brown actually was not in great shape when we got him at first two. Both those guys have rounded into form. And Sheldon Richardson is perhaps the Seahawks defensive player other than Bobby Wagner, who has been just oh, Bobby Wagner's been defensive god I, of the year. I can't I can't stress it enough. I mean, he's the best middle linebacker in the league. He's but, the best linebacker in football right now. I will say it flat yeah. out. All right. I mean, like I, the Broncos are playing like shit. So I, normally I'd say Von Miller's gonna say something about that, but yeah, like you said, that I can dig it. So but the the thing for me is that um, and Von Miller's pro football focus rating, even though the, the Broncos are terrible, is like 93 still. That's just nuts. Like the whole team is collapsing around him, but he's, he's still great. Uh, so <laughs> We call that the Khalil Mack theory. Yeah. So anyway, um, 
yeah, but Sheldon has been fantastic, and I would be really, really frustrated if we. And I know Malik McDowell is coming back next year, and so we'll have and Naz Jones will be able to will be healthy, fully healthy again, and so we have all these guys who can play defensive tackle. But man, Sheldon Richardson has been good, and I would really like to see us find a way to bring him back, even if it means losing another main chip. From, I think from that might defense. be where Cliff Averill's money goes. Yeah, like if we lose Cliff, but we keep Sheldon, like that sucks, but. Because the cliff the cliff contract is so affordable, but and Sheldon it's also Richardson, so sad because he's smokes. such a great player. Sheldon well, Richardson is so good. And last year we, maybe not this time last year, but before the off season, we're talking like we're not going to have as much money as we think to play around next year. I think we're going to have a little more money, and that's you think that's going to be a combination of us like cutting guys. Yes, there's a lot of guys. We there can, will be, I think, some surprise contracts coming off the board or rearranged. There's I also su- would not be surprised if Jimmy doesn't come back, and if it comes down to Jimmy or Shelton. I'm going with Sean Richardson. Yeah, there's a lot of guys we can cut next year to save a ton of cap space, too. Uh, I can give you some specific examples. We can cut Sherman and save $11 million next year, which is a ton of money. So if we if he's coming back slow, we can either trade him or get rid of him, and that would save a ton of money. Uh, we can uh, we can cut Dwayne Brown and save all the money. So if we decide that's not something we, we want, $10 million. I'm right not there, in favor of this just decision. Like Cliff, $7.5 million, as Kevin mentioned before. Lane will save us almost six million dollars with a cut, um, which that's just about guaranteed. So, and then there's a, just a ton of guys coming off the books that are free agents. We, uh, on that note, Nico Thorpe is playing his way into Jeremy Lane, looking even more expendable. Oh yeah, Nico Thorpe's better than Jeremy Lane right now. Um, we don't have much dead cap in 2018 either. We only owe like three million to Ty Rubin and Jermaine Curse, and that's basically it. Hmm. So we're not gonna like lose a bunch of money from dead cap like we have in uh, years past. Eddie so, Lacy rolls completely off the books. That was a that was just a no money deal. So yeah, so like, I mean, if we just I math it out, we're gonna have about ten million dollars if we don't make any moves, and that doesn't include any of the other stuff that I already said. So Kevin, let's talk about that big one, the Richard Sherman, eleven million dollars saved. Do you think Richard Sherman? I'm I'm gonna ask this question. This is the hottest takes. I know this is so hot. This take this take is so hot that the sun is jealous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, has Richard Sherman played his last game in a Seahawks uniform? I think that it's quite possible. I, I think it's very has. possible. I don't think this take is hot at all. I'm. This take's hot, man. This is a hot take because he's a very good football player, and to 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 suggest that that we should just like get rid of him to save eleven million dollars. I'm gonna is say no. Rash. I'm gonna say we're gonna see a one of those quiet restructurings, like like. Richard Sherman is not the kind of guy who's gonna who takes less money. No, I'm, no, no. I'm talking about you know like the guaranteed versus. Oh, like they they say, hey, okay, three more years, but you're gonna get a lot more guarantees, that kind of thing. They're gonna, yeah, like some of the stuff that's incentive based right now that he won't be able to hit. They'll kind of, you know. I am scared because like Achilles injuries are weird, and yeah. I don't mean to go cross sport, but like guys come back from Achilles injuries like Kobe, and they just never look the same they're just not the same and i i worry that like sherman's gonna come back and you know one of the great things about richard sherman is he has deceptive closeout speed he he'll back into his back and he'll bait the he'll bait the quarterback into making a throw that he probably shouldn't and then he, he just strikes you know and, and get makes the play um, and we saw last year when he didn't quite have that burst because he was he was he playing got injured bit all a couple year. of times he's playing injured all year last year like i i mean i'm gonna gotta give him credit like he's a, he's a warrior like i i love richard sherman because of that though if anyone is going to be like Earl and come back stronger, come back better, supposedly, or at least come back 
90% of what he was, it'll be Sherman. Yeah, and I'm hoping Richard Sherman listens to everything before that because what I will say is that I, he gets motivated by stuff like this where people talk about him and stuff. I want that motivation. I, that's what I love about Richard Sherman. He's so motivated. He's so driven. That's what has made him great, right? He's yep. 29 years old. He's he's hitting like the last three years of his prime. I would love for all three of those years to be Seahawks years, right? Yeah, he has a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, huge. he needs. To, huge. I hope that that chip helps him come back. Because and yeah, he's and part know, of the identity of the team. Sneak over to Germany, get some of those weird injections. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, all right, so um, not not any of that Roger Clemens butt injections. We're talking about. Okay, we talked about how Bobby Wagner was awesome. Bobby Wagner actually first in the among linebackers, first in the league in almost every category you can look at, except for a second in pass rush productivity to the aforementioned. Uh, Von Miller, but that I mean, that's a guy that's, that's going to happen. You're talking about a, a three, a four three inside linebacker. Yeah, so it's it's that's a guy. It's an okay guy to be second to. Just going to throw that out there. Uh, KJ was awesome again. Uh, for the record, poor KJ Wright. Any yeah. other team, and he plays like this, and everybody be like, KJ Wright, man, that linebacker plays incredible. <laughs> KJ, KJ's looking over at Bobby like, come on, man. What's yeah. when's my year? McDougald, I thought was was very good. I'm I'm totally fine with McDougald. Uh, McDougald replacing season. Cam is better than McDougald replacing Earl because yes. the role that you play in the defense. Yeah, I think that McDougald's good. Um, the less we can play with three linebackers on the field, the better. Every oh, time God, yes. Will, Ho- Will Hoyt was on the field for like almost half the snaps, and I didn't like any of them. Will Hoyt uh, and Garvin, Garvin were both on the field Garvin for that last for the only good drive they put together. Garvin yeah. was. Uh, I feel like you Carson just got it. Lost. You got to put him in there though. Like, and this is the game to do it. He's like the human victory cigar. I, I mean, I saw him and I was like, eh, I guess it makes sense. It, it's like when, uh, it's like when the basketball team, the college, the college basketball team throws the walk-ons in. Yeah. Like, oh, Garvin's in. If Coleman, Lane, and Maxwell are our three cornerbacks going into the playoffs, can we win a single playoff game against any of these NFC teams? A, we'll have Griffin back, and B, but I'm just saying, maybe if, Griffin, if Griffin's not back, because Griffin is way better than all three of those guys. I'll say this okay, right now: so I don't like us against Philadelphia with that situation. Um, Minnesota, I'm, like we're gonna cover Thielen and Diggs. I no don't like way. us against Minnesota in that situation. I'm okay with us against the Rams because their receivers don't scare me that much. Um. So basically, you want us to pull the Rams in round one if 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 we're still ailing at cornerback. Uh, New Orleans, their receivers don't intimidate me as uh, Drew Brees it does. Michael Thomas is so That's good. True. Though. <laughs> I'm gonna like. Can I'm you imagine Michael Thomas way. in the slot against Jeremy Lane? Oh gosh, that <laughs> would get no. ugly fast. Let's put Nico Thorpe in. It'd be oh, Coleman, man. please, Coleman. Just, and yeah, it, that's what that's what Shaq Griffin does though. He allows Coleman to go back to playing slot. He corner. slots everyone into the right position. Yeah. I'll say this about that playoff matchup though, and I'm gonna go a different way. If we get in the playoffs, because we right want to play Carolina, it's gonna it's gonna be hard this That's year. That's a fact. But I'll say this: if you look at the way we play, we always talk about getting pressure with four. I think the playoff wins will be decided on pressure by the defensive line, and I mean bigger and better pressure than we've been putting on in the regular season because that's how we make our corner our cornerback crew our secondary look much better. If and if can... that can happen, that is how we will win those games. And against any team, I, I give us a chance. All right, so I think um, let's let's move on to the Eagles. So I think people have been waiting for this. Uh, they this is like the most exciting matchup on the schedule, other than maybe the home game against the Rams that we have left. So th- which I will not be tweeting for because I will be going to yeah, for I'll, my birthday. Happy birthday to me! You are stuck with me instead. Me and Brett. Both instead. of your tweets. Uh, my two tweets and Brett actually has been filling in admirably. Brett's going to be at the game with me. Sorry. Oh, 
So it's just me. I'm going to have to bring it. All right. You have to bring it. Bring that A game. Get ready for jokes because I'm all about the jokes. Uh, all right. So uh, the, we know Philadelphia is good. They pass the ball well. They rush the ball well. They play great on defense. They have a great front seven and a great offensive line. I've We've kind of alluded to them a lot in this podcast. Um, I, I want to approach this a little differently than maybe you guys are ready for. I hope that this doesn't throw you guys both for a loop. But I want to approach this. How can the Seahawks, with our current personnel... How do we defeat the Rams this week? Because to be honest with you, the Rams are the favorite. The Eagles. Or the Eagles, sorry, the Eagles this week. <laughs> the Eagles are the favorite and they deserve to be the favorite. They have played excellent football up to this point. Doug Peterson has gotten them ready. But here's the thing. Doug Peterson's in that Andy Reid coaching tree and the apple does not fall too far from the tree. Andy Reid teams always collapsed on the stretch. I do not think that Doug Peterson will be any different. So how do we beat the Eagles this week and start their inevitable collapse? All right. Um, do you want me to go first? Or do you guys, do you guys have something to go with this, Kevin? Oh, I can do this. Kevin, hit, hit me, hit me first. All right. So taking a look at these two teams, um, if you look at just like, uh, raw stats, Philadelphia looks to be way ahead of the game here. Yeah. They're number, they're number two in DVOA. They're 10 and one. They have 39.4% yep. DVOA. Third That's in offensive excellent. DVOA, third in defensive DVOA. Balanced team. Good Balanced special teams, pass too. and run. Balanced pass and run defense. Uh, led by their lines up front on both sides. Yep. They built from the, they built from the, from the lines, which is something a lot of teams, a lot of, uh, GMs and fans like to see because it, it just makes the team very enjoyable to watch. So they are 17th against the pass over the middle. They are 15th against tight ends. That is one thing I picked up on immediately as well. I think those are two important points when looking at this game because that tells me Doug Baldwin in the slot and uh, Jimmy Graham should be able to do some damage in this game. So if I'm looking at where is Seattle going to uh, make some room on offense, I look for that. I ask myself, okay, this is a team that's 10th against running backs. Not bad, but... They're going to be pinning their ears back because this is a team that gets aggressive with their front seven. They get aggressive in their pass rush. And their pass rush is really the the straw that stirs the defensive drink. And I think that Seattle's been showing a few more screens, a few more of those anti-pass rush plays. And if they can hit on some of those and force the pass rush to stay honest... We could see Seattle score over 20 points, 24, 27 points, something like that. And that's one thing I noticed, Kevin, when I went through the stats is that people always talk about Philadelphia. They've got a great pass rush. They've got a great pass rush. Got a pressure. They're just a sack rate at 6.6%, which puts them dead middle, 15th yes. in the league. It's not that good. It's only 0.1% ahead of us. And I feel like we are having, we, we have struggled this year to actually finish, finish sacks. We don't, we aren't finishing very well. They are kind of like us, but their they, pressure rate, they good, pressure, like they pre, they pressure, but don't finish just like we do. I think that plays into our hands better than their hands because we have a quarterback who is excellent at escaping pressure where I feel like when Carson Wentz gets pressured, he just runs a thousand miles the other way and then kind of hopes for the best. Russell always seems to have a plan. Uh, except for when he takes a really bad sack once every game and makes me lose my mind. Like, it seems like every time... Let me say something about Philadelphia's run run defense, okay? You said that... You mentioned that they had pretty good run defense. They are third in stopping power runs. They are first in the league. They stuff 33% of run plays, which is 4% ahead of the next best team. That is excellent. Yep. Okay, that's very good. They are very good about not allowing yards in the second level. Uh, 0.78 second, second level yards per play, first in the league. 
but they are not very good at tackling in the open field. And I think it's because of what something you keyed on. They are really aggressive. Okay, and so when they with that aggressiveness, if you can get a guy open in the open field, you can hurt Philadelphia. Well, we have guys who are shifty and good at getting into open spaces. Doug Baldwin, uh, Paul Richardson, Tyler Lockett. These guys can get into open JD spaces. McKissick. And once these guys are in open field, watch out, because that is a way we can move the ball against Philadelphia. Um the, I have more. Do you have more, Kevin? You wanna go now? Uh yeah, I'll go ahead and take the I'll go ahead and take, take the ball take back. One, take one, yeah. Um so the other thing I want to talk about is, and to kind of go to your point again, those adjusted line yards, 2.33 yards per carry, they absolutely are stalemating the line, which means that we should not be able to rely on a running game. But this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive. I would argue that does not hurt Seattle as much because we have not been able to rely on a run game all year. Eric's very excited about this. Well, this is great. <laughs> so uh, I didn't say this during the podcast, but uh, I was telling you guys before, let everyone know, I was on a an Eagles podcast before uh, we recorded tonight. A little podcast it out. Uh, I was on the Birds <laughs> Review, if you want to give them a listen and uh, hear me uh, talk about the Eagles and uh, how bad Nelson Aguilar is. But <laughs> so one thing that their, uh, one of their hosts brought up is he was like, you know, I think I'll say this about the Seahawks. Your offensive line is bad, and we've been making fun of that. But And this guy had a heavy Irish accent too, which was great. But he said, I think you guys are secret geniuses. Because, uh, you know, we're really good at stopping the run, and you guys have taken our best weapon away <laughs> because you're so bad at the run. And it's not a joke. I think, like, that is actually going to play into your hands. And I agreed with him. And so when you said that, I immediately lit up because I think that is a sneaky way uh, that we we yeah. can use Russ to run this ball. Yeah, they they stuff power runs. Yes, they stuff power runs. Well, guess, guess what? what? We suck we, at. We we just don't. We're not probably not even going to try it. We're just going to be like, nah, maybe next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and barrel into their line a few times just to say we did. But you know, it's going to be it, watch for a lot of stretch plays to lock it. Watch for a lot of outside plays to uh, McKissick on some tosses, and then that zone read. If we can get that zone read working, that's going to be tough for them. Okay, let me talk about Philadelphia and the run game. Uh, their offensive line gets a lot of credit, and it's well-deserved. Uh, but they're seven, they've allowed 25 sacks this year. They're 17th in the league. They're, they're, they're good, but they're not that good. And here's the thing. They run the ball pretty well at in the open field. They're really good at getting guys into space and getting yards in the second level in the open field. Well, I don't know if you guys know this, but the Seahawks have a couple players who shut that shit down. That's okay. a fact. Earl Thomas, he ain't going to allow 1.43 open yards per carry, which is a number that is uh, significantly ahead of, of average. Okay, average is 0.67. Okay, so yeah, that that that's not going to fly in Bobby Wagner and Earl Thomas's world. Okay, that that is going away. Or KJ. Second level yards, yards in the second level against the linebackers and the safeties, they're third in the league, 1.32 ahead of the league average of 0.99. That ain't going to happen either. Okay, those guys are going to shut that down. That is... This, I... I honestly think styles make fights, right? Matchups, matchups matter in yep. the NFL, and this is a matchup where I think the Seahawks match up better against the Eagles than people expect. And this line opened close. Um, Philadelphia was favored by like two and a half, and now is Philadelphia by six, which means there is a ton of public money coming in on Philadelphia, and I think that's that's that is not smart. The uh, people are throwing their money uh, away. That's here. a big line for Philly because Philadelphia is Philadelphia is not going to. They're not going to – this is strength against strength, right? Like, Or weakness against weakness, right? They're, 
they're we don't run we don't run and we don't run. the the fact that we don't stick to the run is not going to hurt us this week like that's going to be an advantage for us like you guys said the fact that they are so good at open field tackles we can cancel that out we have the, the talent to do that um they don't have a good number one receiver good because we couldn't stop a good number one receiver like that that's kind of where i'm at for this one and the pressure is going to be on carson wentz to be accurate under pressure that's not what he does well that's they also have Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is like the only offensive weapon that I'm concerned with. Yeah, we're, we're not good against wide receivers, by the way. 20th against first wide receivers, 31 against, 31st against second wide receivers. But we are lights out against tight ends. We're good against tight ends. Tight ends running backs we shut down. Which is good because they have good catching running backs, too. And they throw a lot of like weird like circle routes and stuff like that. To Especially under pressure. He needs those. Uh, that's a classic staple of the Andy Reid offense. Throw it before the sticks. Alex rating is Alex rating for a reason. I think a lot of this is going to come down to who we can rattle. Can Earl Thomas lay a big hit on Nelson Aguilar? Can we get Jay Ajayi to fumble the ball? Can Carson Wentz look left and go right and find Frank Clark waiting for him? Uh, I'm not talking about injuring players. I'm just talking about three real good hits to let them know I I have to change my game plan. Like what we used to do to New Orleans. Yeah, what we used to do to San Francisco, what we're known for. Uh, This is a Sunday night primetime game in the city of Seattle, Washington. Uh, even though we haven't done our picks yet and it's looking a little grim for the Seahawks, you can't count us out. There, there's definitely some things going our direction. There is a betting trend. East teams from the East traveling West in primetime games do not do super great. Now I know that this betting trend screwed us over in the Atlanta game. So I hate to bring it up right away, but it is true. Like that there's a long-term trend in betting that says that the line does not properly account for how much teams coming from East to West struggle in primetime games. And that's because when that game is over, it's going to be like one or like 1230 Eastern time. And there's no way you're playing your best at 1230 Eastern time. Yeah. Uh, so, are you ready to pick, boys? You got think, any other any other nuggets you guys Born got? Ready. All right. I'm gonna go first. Do it. The Seahawks are down twenty-eight to seventeen. They fight and claw their way back to go up thirty-one twenty-eight. The the Philadelphia Eagles score a late touchdown to retake the lead, but we go down the field. Blair Wash Blair Wash goes to kick the field goal and misses it. The Seahawks lose thirty-four to thirty-one. Or no, sorry, thirty-three to thirty-one. Kevin, what do you got? Um, that's right. I'm, I'm predicting another Blair Walsh heartbreaker. How did, that, everyone's everyone hates me now. I'm yeah. the true villain of the podcast. It's like it's point. raining outside. And it's raining in this room. Yeah, you ready to be familiar? Yeah. Uh, because I have. Seahawks get that last minute drive going and we all have that feeling of dread because with just about two minutes left in the game, Missed Blair Walsh point? misses the potential game tying field goal. Oh, I thought it was a big game Philly time. runs the clock out 27, 24 Philadelphia. I was, I was thinking you were going to say he misses the extra point, 28-27. Oh, gonna, that's, that's be, way worse. I was going to be like, no. That would have been really, yeah, yeah that, that might happen. I think I'd start crying <laughs> at that. All right. Um, All right. You get cut on the bus. You get cut in the tunnel. We, was, we played the Eagles last year and won. Just, yeah. just throwing that out there. Yeah, totally different team. I will I mean, Way on, less injuries, for sure. Yeah, I, although, uh, you know, we had injured Russell last year. So Injure us. <laughs> boo, Kevin. I'll say this. The Seahawks have a huge challenge this week, but I've already made my pick on another podcast, so i got to stick to it, and it's not great. 
It's a, I think it's a unique score. 33-29 Eagles. Uh, I feel like it's going to be a shootout early. I feel like the Seahawks are going to get it going a little quicker. Uh, the the game at halftime will, will be good. I think this game is still winnable for the Seahawks. I and mean, we've lost to the to the Redskins at home this year. We lost to the e, uh, the Falcons, the other bird team. This is a weird season. Uh, the last few seasons since we lost to the Patriots has been weird seasons, one after another in some way. And the season's no different. I still think we can win this game, and I really hope we do. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, so we're all saying bet against the line. Yeah, I think we all like the Seahawks to cover in this one. I like that you can get the Seahawks like plus 13 in a teaser. That's like insane. All right. <laughs> so uh, now we head to the money zone where you can... T- Figure out how to support the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Seahawks Nest Podcast. You can hear our exclusive picks every week, our NFL picks. Um, me and Kevin have been killing it this year. We're up in like the, we both are either beating or very close to beating, uh, the NFL experts from ESPN.com. Uh, but you can hear those picks and all our kind of riffing on the NFL at, uh, patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Uh, it's, you can join for as little as a dollar 24 a month. And what I'm going to do for the fans is I'm going to put, a couple of those podcasts on a one week delay. So they'll be Patreon exclusive for a week. And then if you are a person who's like, I don't know if I want to try that. Y'all, y'all can see some of the older ones, uh, that we did and see maybe if it's something that you would, uh, find worthy of your $1 and 24 cents a month. By the way, that 24 cents, those are for those 24 cents are for Marshawn. Marshawn. Okay. 20, that's it. That's 0.24. All right. So, uh, also you can give us a follow on your favorite social media, facebook.com slash Seahawks nest, uh, twitter.com slash Seahawks nest. No, it's facebook.com slash the Seahawks nest, twitter.com slash Seahawks nest. And, uh, you know, rate us at five stars on iTunes. Uh, people have done that. We have like 14, five star ratings. I really appreciate every person who took the time to yep. go into iTunes and review us. Cause I know that is a hassle and a nightmare. That's a fact. Uh, so, so uh, that's thank, love right there. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, all right. Uh, movie time. All right, so uh, I want to talk about a movie that uh, is getting. There's a movie getting a wide release this week, and uh, it is it is a movie that tells the story of a cult classic. Um, I know people probably saw this coming from a mile away, but it's time for us to talk about the room. Uh, so, so uh, the room, starring Tommy oh, hi, Wiseau, uh, is getting a is getting the uh, James Franco treatment this week as him and his brother and Seth Rogen and a bunch of other really cool comedians are making a movie called The Disaster Artist that is kind of based on how this movie got made and uh, the story behind this movie and all that stuff. This uh, is very inside baseball that this movie was even made. So The Room. Let's just talk about The Room first. Uh, so The Room kind of gained a lot of notoriety in Los Angeles a long time ago. It was released, and Tommy Wiseau bought this billboard in Los <laughs> Angeles that stayed up for just years advertising the movie. And it would just and everyone was like, what is this movie? So people saw it, and it's just – it's an all-time like – Bad movie. Groaner, groaner, bad movie. Yeah, there's no other way to put Easily it. Easily on most people's worst movies of all time lists. But it, but it's it's really fun to riff on, and it's really fun to watch. So somehow, against all odds, this movie has kind of gained a little notoriety. It's gained a little, uh, you know, okay, people people kind of like this movie now, or people people at least will are they think it's fun to watch. And I think people it's got kinda, that Plan Nine from Outer Space treatment. Here's the thing about it is unlike. Maybe, I don't know, I haven't watched Planet Nine from Outer Space in a long time. I was like a kid when I watched it. But this movie, they tried so hard to make a movie that was like really like thoughtful and, uh, like, but they, they just failed in every way. 
And that's kind of what I love about it. It's just you could tell that the effort that went into making this movie and how badly they still failed. Uh, that's kind of what I like about it. Uh, that is that is the tale behind Plan 9 as well. Um, what we're talking about here is a true labor of love. This was somebody's Hamlet. This was somebody's just their godfather. And it's a three, generously, a three out of ten. That's very, that very generous. Awkward. It is nonsensical at many points in time. Um, it is the essence of self-indulgent. Like, there's clearly an entire... This movie was basically written so that the uh, actor slash director slash funder could make out with this one actress that you could tell he just really wanted to make out with a lot. Uh, no, because like, Kevin, the original actress that was supposed to play Lisa was not that actress. The original Lisa got kicked off the set like halfway through filming because she was a bad fit. Because she was tearing him apart. I guess. <laughs> uh, the budget for this movie, okay, that this is the most unbelievable part to me. Does anyone know the budget for this movie? I don't, it's high. It's, uh, you need to talk about sets after you talk budget. Okay, go ahead. How much do you think this movie cost? I already know. I can't tell you. Okay, um, Eric, isn't it like thirty million? No, it's six million dollars. Yes, which is just ridiculous. There's some, there's some high million. Maybe it's it, the after. It made million, it made nineteen hundred in its original theatrical run. Of course it did. And where was the whole thing shot, Nathan? Well, it's all shot in like a. It's all shot in like these weird sound stages in Los Angeles. Even though Tommy Wiseau owns like a couple buildings in Los Angeles that they could have filmed in. He decided, you know what? I'm gonna rent out this parking garage and put up some green screens so that this sc- <laughs> so that this scene looks really bad, um, even though it could look good. This rooftop scene is gonna look real weird because I'm not gonna use this actual rooftop that I have access to. Instead, I'm gonna film on a green screen. I don't know. The movie is so weird and bizarrely filmed. There's all this. There's all these like weird things that happen in the movie, like. Um, like yeah. when when she comes in, like when he goes into the the, the flower store, and then that she whole acts scene. like she acts the like the very beginning of the movie. You're my favorite customer. Yeah, she like acts like she doesn't know who it is, and then she's like, "Oh, you're my favorite customer." Later in the same scene, it's like, "What?" Oh wait, real quick, you guys are you're speeding through this almost as quick as the lines are delivered because you're saying later in the scene. This is like a 13 second scene where Tommy Wiseau's character walks into this flower shop says hello and before he can get the final o out the one's like oh hi it's my favorite customer like the lines are just delivered like that and hi doggy and then the as he tommy leaves, tommy starts weird. every tommy starts every conversation with oh hi oh hi doggy oh hi mark oh hi like he starts everything the and nervous then, laughter and then, <laughs> yeah like the nervous laughter or we what should about, throw a football around because that is what men do what does he end most his conversations with that's the idea. <laughs> it's so stupid. Like the whole thing, it's so weird. I'm sorry. The awkward catch scenes are so. This guy's dad never played catch with him. Yeah. Oh. And you can tell. You can tell. Lots yeah. of underhanded throwing of the football. Like when they play catch in suits in the alley. It's so weird. <laughs> and they have the awkward, like, fake trip scene over the garbage can. Um, I also like how he has the pervy, like, little brother character Uh and not little brother is in literal little brother but more like went to big brothers little brothers of america and 
he, there's like a 15 year old kid who's pervs on his fiance or the guy with the odd. the guy with the drug problem the drug dealer thing there's all these there's all these uh plot threads that are like thrown <laughs> out there like this chris r plot thread about the drug dealer and, the old and then it just and then they just they just drop it like they just they never address it again it's like oh here's this plot thread that we might be going down and nah just kidding we're not doing that at all or like the kid the kid's another example of this like it's this plot thread that seems to be going somewhere and then we just never go back to it um people call this the citizen cane of bad movies and they're right <laughs> like this is the citizen cane of bad movies it's bad in so many ways like just like the chris r plot is the perfect example though there's just this plot thread that you, you think might be interesting you think it might be going somewhere and then it just, it just never addresses it. Again. It just yeah. it just goes away. It's like never comes back. And we, we're not so going to spoil the end of the movie because you should see the end of the movie. People, but it doesn't make any damn sense. No, and the people in this movie who get screen time, it's just it's amazing. Like I talked about this older woman who's in the movie, and she starts she goes on some monologue that doesn't make any sense. And like, what the hell are you talking, talking about? about uh, Lisa's mom, or yes, the, yes. yes, Lisa's mom. Well, Greg Sestero said that like Tommy told him that. This movie was a warning about having friends, like about how having friends is like not uh, that that thing like or whatever. Friends are dangerous. Like, friends are dangerous. Like that's a, it's a it's a cautionary tale against having friends. So it's the opposite of Hotline Miami. Um, I, friends I guess. forever through thick. I mean, uh, and you're thinking of this Miami case. Or sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's like yeah, but just like. The, I don't know, man. Like, Mark has, like, no background. Like, he's just, like, this character they threw in there Ram that, yeah. like, as, like, a weird, like, antagonist character. I don't even understand what Mark's doing in the movie. But he's movie. his best friend, too. But it, also screwing but, his fiance. But also not believable. It went in, in he and Tommy's connection on screen that they even know each other. Well, and it goes back and forth between, like, uh, like so the Mark character is both, like, no, we shouldn't be doing this. He's my best friend. Oh, we should totally do this. So Greg S- Greg Sestero says he he had to figure out a way to like make the character work in his head. So he pretended that Mark was an undercover vice detective that <laughs> that was like investigating like this Chris R and Denny situation where they got in a fight. This Chris R thing and Denny thing, and also like he was like trying to be friends with Mark so that he, and so he had to stay close to Mark and Lisa, and that's why he just like went along with the affair and all this stuff. Like I'm just like now. I just what? wish they would have cast him in uh, the Fast and the Furious because he apparently in his mind already had that role built yeah, up. Man, there's still 20 more movies coming, Kevin. It could it could happen. <laughs> yeah, and then sorry, like, Nate. There's Cicero said that like some of the lines like because some of the lines like are delivered as comical or like Tommy laughs, but it like really is not appropriate <laughs> no, for not him to be laughing. And then and then like the director he, Greg says like the director told him not to laugh. Like this we shouldn't do this comical. It's not gonna make any sense. And Tommy just kept laughing. So they were just like, Alright, I guess we just have to keep it now. Uh like he refused to not laugh. Um <laughs> Well there's the there's the one scene, it's uh one of my most favorite quotes because it's just describes the movie so awkwardly. It's when uh when he throws the when the one guy's like about to throw the other guy off the roof and then they're oh, like then they're like normal friends again like three yes. seconds later no it's it's when it's another it's <laughs> an early rooftop scene because really well. I mean because I mean that sums up yeah. the movie for me no, it's like the early scene. early scene where he and Tommy are on the roof and he's like yeah I mean he found out his girlfriend cheated on him and he uh, you know he beat her up really bad and you know he couldn't even see her face and just beat her within an inch of her life you know he's trying to make this monologue about you know battery and how it was awful and but. It's some sort of karma, but it comes off as like he's he's like he's like in it's because you know that Mark is cheating with Lisa. It comes off as like is Tommy saying he's going to beat his wife? Yeah, but then all of a sudden, and or then, his future wife. Sorry, they Tommy, always call her future wife in the movie. Too. Yes, Tommy's reaction to that is 
<laughs> this is such a great story, Mark. Or, yes. That's a funny story, Mark. And it's like, what are you doing? Or, or like, uh, doesn't he also have a line like, but that's okay because Lisa is faithful. Yes. And that's another one where you're sitting like, this is really cringy. And I think you're supposed to believe like, oh, this guy doesn't know. But yeah, this movie's just awful. If you don't know this movie, you can go on YouTube and you can watch the whole thing for free. But I think, I, I dare anyone to do that. You cannot do this. Don't I, watch this movie without the help of alcohol or friends because it doesn't work. And don't watch it late because you will fall asleep. It's so, there's so much going on and all of that's going on is nothing. This it's, is it's not 99 a good movie. Min- it's 99 minutes of just wandering. Watch like, the four minute clips, like the best of the room, four to seven minutes. I guarantee that is as far as you can get. I mean, uh, I've made it through, but it's really hard to get through this movie in one sitting. But like you I, should watch it before you watch The Disaster Artist because oh, yes. you won't be able to appreciate it. It will add context for sure because it, yeah, like, and you'll, you'll, we will be YouTube making clips. a, field, we'll be making a Seahawks trip field, uh, field trip, a Seahawks field trip at some point in December to see this for sure. Yeah. And what about like how every character talks about how the way Lisa looks? Does yeah. That, does that bother anyone else as much as it bothers Including me? all the female characters. It doesn't bother me because I can tell that they're trying to establish something. That's This movie does does one thing very well, and that is they show how much they're trying to establish something. And that's an awful thing to show. But they're, they're trying really hard to get you to believe something. They just don't achieve it. We talked about movies like uh, John Wick where they build a world. Without sitting and explaining it to you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this world is average apartment building in San Francisco, and they can't do it without stopping to explain crap to you all the time. Okay, you ready for this? The original script was significantly longer and contained even more lengthy mog- monologues. Because, but the script supervisor and the cast were like found most of those monologues to be like incomprehensible, so they like they like just had to change the movie like on the fly. Um, and then Wiseau was like adamant that people say the lines the way he wrote them. So like, but they sound like they are not written by, well, they're clearly, well, they sound like they're not written by a native so, English speaker. So the, the actors would try, were trying really hard to slip in ad libs to make it make more sense or to make it not so awkward. So you can probably, when you watch it, try to figure out who are the people that got the most ad libs in. Cause they probably have the most coherent stuff going on. I did not know that there was any ad libbing in this movie. That's shocking to me. Um, and Wiseau intended for the film to contain a subplot in which Johnny was revealed to be a vampire. This, <laughs> that this, makes the movie make more sense. This is needed. Uh, they wanted the, the reveal. He wanted the reveal to be a sequence in which Johnny's Mercedes Benz would lift off from the roof of the townhouse and fly across the San Francisco timeline, revealing Johnny's vampiric nature. Yes, please. Yeah, flying BMW. That makes me think of, uh, of vampires. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Uh, don't the, worry. I think this guy don't, missed large portions. I'm gonna, of I'm gonna, Vampire I'm gonna use a couple of the catchers. Don't worry about it. I don't want to talk about it. So, anything else about the room, guys? Uh, I, <sighs> I got nothing. All right, it's perfect. So, um, for for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, I'm Nathan Santo, and uh, that's the idea. Times roll.